There is perhaps nothing that is so needed and so elusive at the same time than hope. And this has been true throughout the human experience. In this conversation, Pastor Danielle and Rabbi Ari discuss their sacred texts and their serendipitous experiences that provide the grounding for hope in their faith expressions. Ironydipity, discipline, and ending up in the right place. This week on A Rabbi and a Pastor Walked In. We've been talking various times about texts that give us hope, things that we base our lives on and our optimism on. And so we decided to share some of those texts with you today. And I want to start with one because it actually has a lot to do with how I became a rabbi. Okay. The phrase in Hebrew goes, Mi shalolishma balishma, which means something that doesn't start for the right reason may end up being... (laughs) (laughs) For the right reason. And when I was in, I was invited to go to a youth group mixer when I was in religious school, Hmm. in uh, confirmation class in high school. And I was 15, and it was going to happen at a nightclub owned by a member of the congregation on a Saturday afternoon, not in the evening. And so I figured, okay, that's interesting. I'll go to a nightclub. Sounded kind of cool. And I think that's why they held it there. I walk in, and everybody's kissing each other, Shabbat Shalom, while they're mm. saying good Shabbos. And I'd never been to a youth group thing before, and I'd never seen people kiss each other, good Shabbos, and I'm going, sex, this doesn't happen. Sex in the open, this doesn't happen in high school. <laughs> so I figured, okay, I'll join. <laughs> that was not probably for the most altruistic of reasons. <laughs> But it turned out that uh, it was really a great place for me, hmm. and uh, other things happened. Uh, I learned a lot. I met a lot of great people. I actually had a better um, social scene in youth group uh, than I did in high school in general. And um, so uh, out of that, I decided to become a rabbi when I was hmm. 16, hmm. the following year. Wow. And so, Misha Lolishma, Balishma. That is, you might start something right. for the wrong reason, but it may end up being for the right reason. So, hmm. even somebody who seems to have lost all hope, and I hadn't lost all hope, obviously, in that situation, mm-hmm. and is living a life that's the wrong kind of mm-hmm. life, mm-hmm. may end up doing something that's the right reason. Hmm. You just never know where something is going to lead you. Right. So I think for me, I would, um, I think you and I've talked a little bit before about um, what you've sort of coined as serendipity, right? These moments where you find yourself um, walking down the street and then you have a divine appointment, right? And there's these moments where you you said, I don't really believe in a coincidence. Um, Irony, dippity. (laughs) Irony, dippity, right? Right. All those things together. A little dippity do will do you. You'll be all set. so I think for me that that concept of starting down the road and then finding that it leads to a place of life, it, there's a lot of trust for me in that, like, you know, in moments of feeling hopeless or not really knowing where the next step is, trusting that um, for me, God is good and that God um, is love and God will find ways to redeem even what appears to be unredeemable, right? That there's... Um, even as long as you're moving in some sort of movement, then you're more easily steered, um, like a ship, right? So there's something, there's some push in some way, some trust that I have that um, that God can bring good even out of bad, and and find um, 
moments of hope. I was just reading in the um, New York Times this last week about uh, a young man who, I believe it was in Arkansas, who um, in the middle of the night in an unwise moment and uh, with another friend and after too much drinking uh, drove the car that um, took people to vandalize a mosque. And uh, they had written some terrible things on the mosque, anti-Semitic, but this, this young man in particular was in the car. And uh, he ends up in jail. They arrest him and it's, and it's bad, right? It's, could be a felony, hate crime, all these other things. And the whole time he's just so brokenhearted that he did this. And he feels deep remorse. He feels terrible for his mother who's sobbing. He can't believe that he did it. He doesn't even really figure out. He's, I mean, he's not excusing his behavior. He just is so upset that he did it. So he writes this letter of apology to the mosque, um, just to saying, you know, I, he doesn't even know who to write it to. Just kind of barely goes into a long article in the New York Times that's highly worth reading. And, um, and he just said he's sorry. And it ends up being... This horrible event ends up being this beautiful story of all of the Muslims in that town who most people hadn't even known if they were Muslim or not, end up being able to display forgiveness and love towards this young man. And they go and advocate to the courts and to the police to uh, lessen the charges, to drop the charges. Um, they are trying to advocate for him. Uh, they've found ways to subsequently meet together. And his whole life, he said he's never felt more love in his life than what he has experienced coming back from this mosque, from the Muslims at this community. And it, it starts out really bad, right? The story's horrible. It's the middle of the night and you're drinking and you do this horrible, terrible thing. And it ended up that in many ways, this event became the best thing that had ever happened in his life because it... It's transformed him. Isn't that crazy? You know, it makes me think of another thing. As we're sitting here, we're sitting in my garage. <laughs> and when I was in college, I used to go to the, there were four dormitories connected by a central area and had mm -hmm. one big, humongous laundry area. Right. And the navigators who were a campus, uh, sure. you know, missionary yeah. group, would hang out there and talk to people about religion. And I knew that I wanted to be a rabbi, and I found out they were navigators, and we'd, we would always talk. Hmm. It was a great thing. And I always wondered, did they go to the laundry room in the kind of the sense of Isaiah saying, wash you, make you clean, you know? Uh, nice. Clean up your act, get, right, get yourself right. together, no matter how dirty you become, and you know how dirty men's clothes can become. Right. Uh, <laughs> it's a nice picture, nice symbolism. <laughs> it, uh, yeah, it, uh, I always wonder. I always wonder if this hmm. is why they were doing it there. That's a great question. <laughs> so I don't know how how bad you have to be before you can't do anything good. But the the, the most important thing at this one little verse. Is, by the way, it's not a Bible verse. It's a Talmudic motto. Is it sometimes things start for the wrong reasons, but they end up the same in the right place and. Mm -hmm. I have another one. Mm -hmm. So there are two there are two verses in the Psalms that begin with the same words and they have the exact opposite statements. Mm -hmm. The first one is Psalm two and it says, If do it Hashem worship God in awe and fear, Gilu Birada and tremble trembling mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. before God. And the other one is Psalm hundred, verse two. If do it Hashem Basimcha, worship God in happiness. Bo lefanav birnana, come before God singing. Hmm. That's 
my motto. Hmm. Uh, I, I know too many Jews who are just afraid of getting so many things wrong that they live a life with no joy in their mm. in, no joy in their Jewing mm. because they just think they're going to get everything wrong and um, and I don't think of God in that kind of a way right. uh, well for a lot of reasons but in any case I'd rather come before God singing and uh, and being joyful and trying to make everything that we do religiously joyful so that people learn from that mm -hmm. when when people ask me what how do i find out how to be jewish or what do i find out? i said go watch jews hmm. and see what they they mm -hmm. do and if mm -hmm. jews make judaism fun mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. then other jews and other people will think it's not so bad well, there was this famous Jew in the first century. I don't know if you've heard of him. His name's Yeshua, Jesus. And he said, um, I have come to give you life and life abundantly, life to the full, is his passage in the Gospel of John. And I've always thought um, that, you know, when you, if you look into a person's life and you don't see them living this abundant life, right, then I, I, that's what I. That's what I've been promised, and that's what I'm searching for. Right? I'm, I'm looking for something like that. And I think when we find ourselves in either personal moments of despair or hopelessness, or fear or frustration or or anger, whether it's because of a national event um, like Charlottesville, or whether it's become um, due to something personal in our lives, um, it's easy to just get focused on the bad news. And particularly, I think one of those uh, with our Twitter feeds and our Facebook feeds and the news and this 24-hour news cycle of everything else, it's easy just to be like, you know, sit down, see that terrible thing. Um, for some Christians this week, you know, seeing the Nashville statement was was this terrible thing. And, and then you just start scrolling, right? And it keeps feeding this cycle of anger and hurt and frustration and pain. And trying to, I love that idea that you just shared of trying to come before God with joy. Right. And and also this this belief that that it even if it starts bad, this is something that can end up being good. I have a friend, an African-American uh, friend of mine, and she said to me uh, that several years ago she started praying deeply for um, real, true racial reconciliation to start happening in the country and, and in communities. And even though there's all this pain and unrest right now of the, of the last few years and of this current year, um, She's wondering if this isn't an answer to that prayer. It, it looks like lots of birth pains, right? Really painful and some ugliness and some deep hurt and hate and rage. Um, but either a birth pain or death throes, right? Of where you start to um, believe that it could be better. And, and just the fact that she's willing to hold that out as an, as an option, and not just get stuck into a cycle of despair indicates her great desire for hope, right? Her great desire that it would be different, um, that the um, that the worst of humanity that we might see uh, might lead to a significant change, like the story of this, you know, teen with the mosque in Arkansas, or um, the stories of where we find ourselves in places where we maybe shouldn't be, um, and find that that even there, God, if we're if we're hopefully open and willing. Um, that God can use others and God can use God's self to, to push us into some life. A bit like Moses, isn't it? Like I, today I set before you two choices, life and death. Choose life. The, um, that you mentioned that, I, I, I went through uh, our congregational prayer book hmm. to find some of the 
parts that I like best, and not all of them are biblical, and some of them are modern. And Larry Kushner is a rabbi in San Francisco, a reform rabbi and a mystic, and he wrote about angels and messengers. Mm -hmm. And just to put this whole thing together in just a yeah. couple of verses, said, each lifetime is the pieces of a jigsaw puzzle. And when you present your piece, which is worthless to you, hmm. to another, whether you know it or not, whether they know it or not, you're a messenger from the Most High. Hmm. That is, all of us can be angels. Angel is a word that actually just comes from an old Semitic root, which means to work. Hmm. An angel is a catalyst. Right. And, and they're a messenger, right? Like uh, somebody who's right? sent. There's a sent to, right. to do something, and the message... The, the medium is the message. You know? <laughs> right. And and so there are times when you we're all chosen, by the way, to mm -hmm. be a messenger, mm -hmm. but we have to choose back to do it. Right. So right. one one day I would, when I was mm -hmm. rabbi at Stanford, I was late for a meeting with the president of the university. Mm -hmm. And I'm hustling to get there. And, you know, so I'm, I'm late for a meeting with the president of the university. <laughs> and I'm representing the Jewish community on some major issue. I forget what it was. And... Oh, the the bell had already rung in the quadrangle, and everybody, all students, had disappeared into their holes like a whole bunch of rats. Right, there. right, right. And so there was only me, and there was another guy, and he comes up to me as I'm almost at the president's office, and he says, "Do you know where X?" And I knew where it was. Right. And if I tried to tell him how to get there in the quadrangle, right. well, all the rooms look exactly alike, <laughs> you know, and there's no address, there's no nothing, right? It's just so I realized that I had been chosen to take that person there, hmm. and I had to agree to that. Hmm. And I did, and I took him there, and then I got to the president's office, and I was a little bit late, but nothing happened. And, and so I could have said, no, I'm late. Right, right. But I, I had been singled out by the universe to do a job. It was not a hard job. Right. might put me into a little pain, <laughs> but it wasn't going to be too bad. And so I did it, and I became an angel. And the thing is that mm -hmm. so many people, I mean, what's going on in Houston now with the floods, and they're right, pointing right. that, and also in India. The, yes. There are people who happen to have a boat. There are people who right. happen to have a this, and they're in the wrong place at the right time to do something good. Right, right. Yep. And so at that point, they become angels. Right. So I have, That's right. unlike yeah. most of my liberal colleagues, I have a very active understanding of angels. That's nice. And how the irony dippity of the whole situation <laughs> plays out when you're chosen and you have to choose back or you're going to do it. Well, there's, um, in what you're saying, I hear this this idea of a holy yes, right? That there's, the, even in yeah. the mundane, um, it's a mundane moment. People would understand you're running late. I wasn't saving meeting. the world. Right. All of those kinds of things. But there's a holy yes in the loving of a neighbor, in the taking care of somebody, putting that person um, before ourselves and, and seeing where we fit in a larger story. Um, and so from the smaller mo moments um, of recovery efforts in Houston um, to the very large dramatic ones that you, you know, make it to the news, there's um, there's holy yeses. All along the way, um, my friends' um, parents are are there, and they had to evacuate their home, and it's flooded. And so, you know, she's posting updates, and we don't really know where they are, and they have to get on a boat. And and I can't even imagine being this far away from my parents. You know, they're not young and spry, and trying to figure out where they are, and cell service isn't working, etc. And then 
subsequent then following day they they made it out on a boat and they've been in a shelter and she's been posting uh, videos of her parents leading um art tables for the kids in the shelter her mom's teaching and leading and her dad has um got a line dance going on and they're doing the um <laughs> cupid shuffle and all these other kinds of fun things and and you just look at that and think I of what I have no idea what a cupid shuffle I'll is I'll play a YouTube time. video later <laughs> um you ask your daughters um but it's kind of like the uh, YMCA song for all weddings from now on okay. <laughs> so the dance songs to it but but I think of how much of that's a holy yes right you're, you're finding yourself in some deep um deep pain deep hurt loss fear uncertainty but you can show up and and either um, get stuck in that despair or move to a place of some hope and and find the next right thing that you can do uh, one of the passages that gives me hope is really all of the sermon on the mount um, with jesus you know at the very beginning in the beatitudes he starts with um you know blessed are the poor in spirit well so already you're not <laughs> and and really, as we've talked about before, it's really like, happy are those who are poor in spirit. Well, how is that possible? And this is because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, happy are those who mourn. Well, that, that sounds like two contrary things, but because they will be comforted. And so there's all of this mixture of these extremes, but in this moment, there's still this, um, this goodness. And at the end of this whole section of sort of beatitudes, these, these things that Jesus um is exhorting people to and rejoice and be glad. He says, because you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. We, and those verses get quoted all the time and they've been quoted in national, you know, prayer breakfast for two, for 200 years. And um, that the thing we forget is that you are the light of the world. Is, is He's not talking about Christians. He's not talking about Jews. He's talking to these people who are suffering, right? You're salt. Your light. And when you do go through these things and you do these things and you continue to shine, it gives light to everyone in the house and people praise their father in heaven. And I think that that's what's been happening when we see these um, survivor stories of hope, you know, when we out of Houston and, um, and India and other places like you, you go, wow, there's there's hope in this world again, because somebody who is suffering is still choosing to, to focus in and try to bring some joy and some good. And at the end of this whole Sermon on the Mount, Jesus ends the whole thing with, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house upon the rock. The rain comes down, the streams rise, and the winds blow and beat against that house, but it doesn't fall. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put it into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew, and the house falls with a great crash. The thing that's interesting to me there is that both the wise person and the foolish person both encounter storms. It's not like because you are a follower of God, you get to avoid the storm. There's nothing in that at all. There's no prosperity gospel here, right? Um, the distinction is that when the storm comes, if you are doing and practicing what Jesus has taught you, love God, love your neighbor, love your enemy, do good to those who persecute you, bless them, um, extend yourself in all these ways, do, you know, it's Shema, right? Um, all of that, hero, Israel, Lord, is our God, the Lord is one, love, Lord, God, with everything you've got. If you do that, then when the storm comes, you'll still be standing. But if you hear these things, but you don't ever do them, then then the storm will come in and if you fall like a crash. There's something in the next section of doing the right thing, even if you started in the wrong direction, right? You can still 
and it's a beautiful picture of tshuva, right? That you can turn and, and repent and start going the other way. When you say all that stuff, it makes me think about the floods in Houston and in India at this particular point, because obviously not everybody built their house in the right, right? place. No, sure. But yeah. how many of them knew that they were in the wrong place? Well, and, and those are, you know, that that's a real estate decision more than it is a moral decision, but still. And a poverty decision, right? Yeah. I mean, you're going to build um, what, right. what's possible. You're going to live where it's cheapest, and it's going to be cheapest in the floodplain. Right. And, um, you know, I, I think it was Vox that put something out, I mean, just the practical reality, but Seattle this last year had a very wet winter, a very wet year, and they had over 45 inches of rain throughout the entire year. Houston had more than 45 inches of rain into 20, in a 48-hour period. I mean, it's just, it, like, I think Vox put out no, a... No, it was insane. Like, it's like a two-mile by two-mile or two-mile by four-mile drop of water just landed. So, it, um, I don't know if it would really matter where you built your house in some of those ways, right? It's just, it's going to fall down. I mean, for this picture particularly, there's, as you and I both know, there's very much... Um, Israeli geography informed in this picture because the number one cause of death in the desert is flood and we don't it's drowning right in the deserts of Israel because where it can be raining 15 miles away and it will be dry and sunny where you are but that rain comes down those canyons and just can flood you out towards from the Judean mountainside towards towards the salt sea and so this idea of you know rock and sand is very much like are you are you building high are you building down low in these wadis where when the rain comes, the rain's going to come in both places, but here it's not safe. Nope. It's not still waters, as, you know, Psalm 23 talks about. So that's a, those verses are places that give me hope. When I, when I feel a little bit hopeless and I don't know what to do and I don't know how to respond, I go back to um, the whole of the text. Um, but in particular for me as a follower of Jesus, the words of Jesus are deeply helpful. And his example of, how to love, how to forgive, even people that are harming him. Um, certainly he lived in a time that certainly felt hopeless in many ways with the Roman occupation, with um, Herod just before, around the time of the birth of Jesus, you know, putting the, the big Roman eagle insignia up on the gate of the temple and demanding sort of allegiance to Caesar and all of his gods going into the temple and the faithful people and leaders of Israel saying, no, absolutely not. You know, it'd be better for us to just lay our necks bare than to have to give allegiance to this other false god, right? That's not an easy thing to do. And the, the eagle insignia came down, which was a good idea <laughs> for a little bit of Pax Romana. But to, to live in those times, certainly, I mean, Jesus encounters the fact that his, his cousin, whom he dearly loves, is beheaded by Herod Antipas because of he's been speaking out against Herod's um, horrible infidelity and abuse. And um, and Jesus has to live with the loss of his cousin, right? And he has to live, in, um, according to our Gospels, right, as he's being crucified on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. You know, I've never had to live in that kind of a pain. No, me neither. And, and, those, and there's so many places where it's going on. Right. There is... Part of Anne Frank's diary we hmm. put in our prayer book. Wow. And um, it goes like this as so she talks about the uh, seeing the world gradually being turned into a wilderness, hear hmm. the approaching thunder, feel the suffering of millions, and then wondering if it will come out all right. And she says, I must hold on to my ideals, for perhaps a day will come when I shall be able to carry them out. Wow. 
And so, since we know the end of the story, we know how poignant that is. Right. But, um, and so, most of the time, because we have a lot of alternative readings that you can choose sure. and for this particular prayer, this is, this is one of the alternatives for the prayer. And among the students for Bar and Bat Mitzvah, this is the most popular. Hmm. And I've never really done a survey or a set hmm. of interviews that ask them why. Partly I know it's because popular engenders popularity. You know, the more somebody does it, the more somebody else will follow sure, suit. Sure, sure. But it's kind of, um, it is poignant in some respects to watch these newly minted 13-year-olds quoting Anne Frank right. facing the Holocaust. Well, and I'm sure just because of the age and stage of life that is shared between Anne Frank right. and, and those being bar and bat mitzvahed, you know, there's a connection of that could be me. And will I hold, will I hold to these things um, even in the face of um, a dim or grim future that I may, may or may not know the conclusion of, and certainly Anne didn't, but her words did live, right? And and they have, she's, her ideals have pushed forward and her testimony, I, I remember as a kid, I think I was in junior high when they required, you know, Anne Frank's diary as reading around that same age again, and um, just being so deeply touched and moved and um, I, I think in awe of her wisdom and her age and stage and, and aspire, wanting to aspire to that to the place to hold on to some hope in the midst of such um, inhumanity. There's um, another thing is kind of like moving from the sublime to the ridiculous, but um, there's a quote in the book of Proverbs, uh, excuse me, Psalm 90, Moses' psalm. I think of it as a proverb. Right. It's, it's Psalm 90. And, uh, and we, some people say it when we count the days between Passover and Shavuot, Pentecost, uh, because we're supposed to count those days. Sure. And they're 50. And so, this is the quote. Limnot yamenu kein hodav anavi levav hochmah. Count our days. That is, teach us how to make each day count. Mm. Teach mm -hmm. us to count our days. Mm -hmm. Make each day count. And that way we'll bring a heart of wisdom. Now, that's, it's a, that's a really hard thing to translate, but navi can mean right. we will bring, and navi is also the word for, for a prophet. prophet. Mm -hmm. So, someone who teaches or learns how to make each day count becomes a prophet and a wise heart. Hmm. And and when I was beginning to recover and, and rehab, they said, one day at a time. One day at a time. One day at a time. Because there were things I could not do. Right. I think back about them now. I mean, I couldn't sit up in bed. Right. You know, right. one day at a time. And um, and you're not going to change the world in one swell foop. You're just going to do one thing at a time, mm -hmm. make one thing better, one good interaction, right? And uh, and be diligent about your discipline. It's kind of right. funny. That discipline's an interesting word. I think it's a better word than religion, because religion just means it, it it brings up too many scary things to people. Right. Discipline does also, if you think of it as disciplining a bad person punishment but if you think of it as a discipline like yoga or like or tai chi and the word disciple right right which is teach the right. student discipline is something that you do because you, you it's practice right 
And I have a discipline of brushing my teeth. I right. don't want them to fall out. Right. So right. I'm, I'm disciplined in that approach. And I have a discipline now of doing my exercises, my physical therapy. I'd got to do all these things to regain all the right. powers right. that I had, all my superpowers. Right, right. And, uh, and so just one day at a time is the only way you can get around to that. So if you make each day count mm. and don't sit there. Yeah, I like that. On your tuchas. All right, you know, right. Waiting for something else. Right. By the way, something else I taught my kids is do the mitzvah first. Mm. That is, mitzvah means a command. Right. Some people think it means a good deed, but you got things you got to do. You got to get them done. Get them done and then watch TV. Mm-hmm. Do mm-hmm. the mitzvah first. Mm-hmm. And if you have two things in front of you, having fun and doing something important, get the thing important done. And then you can have more fun because you're not right. worried about it. Right. So. Well, um, and also the command can be a good thing, right? It can well, be. A, it. I mean, it. It is also good and can be a good thing. I think when Moses does say, today I set before you life and death, like choose life, do the thing that brings life. So in our discipline, which is a practice, actually in Christianity, we have a um, a modern contemporary Christian leader. His name is Richard Foster, and he wrote a book called Celebration of Discipline. And every chapter is focused on these disciplines that should be part of the Christian life, right? Whether it's fasting or prayer or service and all these different acts. I would never start with fasting. No, yeah, you'd have to start with that celebration <laughs> of discipline. Yeah, start with celebration. Right. Exactly, we'll do the celebration part. Um, but I think, you know, so... So often in our life, we want the easy way. We want to just do the thing that um, makes us feel good in the moment, but it, it doesn't lead to life, right? But if we do the next right thing, if we do the mitzvah, there's so much in that that brings back life again. And I remember as a kid, um, my mom would say, all right, Daniel, like, it's, it's been a week. It's probably time to take a shower. <laughs> like, particularly summer months where you just sort of wake up in the morning. We had a swimming pool in our backyard and we lived on a cul-de-sac. And we were in Northern California. And we would just wake up in the morning and just put on our swimsuits. I mean, I, I think there were weeks where I didn't ever hardly ever wear clothes because you'd just be in and out of the pool all day. Maybe put, you know, pull on extra clothing over it and then go bike riding and down to the ice cream shop. It was just the idyllic, you know, American childhood in our little town growing up. And at least for for our for our little segment of society, and um, and I remember fighting her every time she told me to take a shower, just screaming and fighting. I don't know why. I just was contrary. I have a gift of stubbornness, and inevitably I would lose a privilege. Like I'd get grounded, and I would have this, and I'd still have to go take the shower. I mean, it, it was a mommy wins game, and then I'd be in the shower, and I go, oh wow, this feels really good, right? I was cold. Now I feel warm. I was kind of dirty. Now I feel nice and clean. This is only 10 minutes. Why did I put up that big fight for like the whole half hour? I had a huge fight with my mom. I'd be in the shower like, you know, trying to recover from whatever tears there were. I'd have this big oppositional moment. I'd finally get in and I'd be thankful that I got in and did that right thing. And I'm like, oh, that's great. And I talked to myself in the shower, which is probably like seven or eight years old. All right, Danielle, this isn't that bad. Now, the next time your mother tells you to just get in the shower, 
Just get in the shower. Remember how good this felt. And just get in there and do this thing. <laughs> Not fight. And inevitably a week later, right, or a few days later, whatever, she'd tell me, go get a shower. And I would fight again and I'd forget again. I was slow to learn. No wonder you became a pastor. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but for me, this analogy still carries through my life where when I sit down with those two things in front of me, shall I open up social media? Shall I look at the news on the web? Shall I watch that stupid TV show? Or shall I sit down and read this book? Shall I sit and read text? Shall I sit and pray? and and I will fight it but as soon as I get there I'll go oh man this is so good I wish I, I why did I fight this why did I put it off till the end of the day when I was that's tired that's the way I feel about my exercise routine right just getting started it's the starting just getting started getting uh, this morning I was really tired and the alarm went off and I usually just pop up right when the alarm goes off because that's when the coffee is but <laughs> <laughs> this morning, I, I, I waited for a couple of seconds, and I'm going, uh, and then I popped up. Right. I mean, I, once I got right. up, I was up. Right. If you just lay there, yep. it could take forever, and you never would pop up. No. So I have one more text. Yes. Uh, I'm going to have more, but we of should course. probably bring this to a close. Yes. This is a really strange text. It's the, the National Anthem of Israel. Hmm. And the reason it's, it's uh, a hopeful text to me is it means as long as a Jewish heart beats and as long as Jewish eyes look eastward, then we have not lost our hope. And they're quoting Ezekiel mm-hmm. when right. the, the people, the, the, the dry right. bones people say, right. our hope is lost. And this is, our hope is not yet lost. A 2,000-year-old hope, the hope, to be a free nation in our land, the land of Tzio and Zion and Jerusalem. And the fact is that 2,000 years, 1,900 years, after the destruction of the temple and Jewish sovereignty, there's new Jewish sovereignty. Mm-hmm. To think that yeah. it's 2,000 years, right, right. that some right. promises take so long, mm-hmm. they're, not, they're not immediate. One, one, right. one, I did an article about Moses and the Ten Commandments. I was counting a lot of things. It was a numerological, not numerological, but a mathematical article. But one of the things I was looking at was how long did it take between the time that God said, I will redeem you, and the Exodus? Right, right. Well, we know that Moses was 80 Mm -hmm. at the time of the Exodus. And the redemption is promised just before the story of his birth is told. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's 80 years. And there's been 400 years before that. Well, there's been 100 and some odd. I mean, the, the 400 right. is, a, is a... But, you know, yes, but in a long case, period of time. A long period of time. And so the redemption took 80 years. That was quick. <laughs> right? Right. I, I love the phrase in Isaiah, uh, when, it's, when it's its time, I'll make it happen fast. But until that time, it's going to grow right. along with no hope. But the fact is that it could be 1,900 years and a return. Yes, yes, yes. So... And we're so stuck in our moment, in our moment of history, because we're just, we're just those people. We're right. just, it's it's all about us, right? We're narcissists, <laughs> right, in the moments. It's all about me. And so I can look out and I can go, well, there's no redemption in front of me. 
because I'm the person that lived in year 200 of the slavery, or I'm the person that lived in you know zero, you know year 20 of Moses. I coming, died or, in Mo- when Moses was 79. <laughs> right, or I died in the wilderness. Right, right, and didn't ever make it to the land. Um, so we can we can so feel like. There's, there is no hope. There is no redemption because we get stuck only in our little slice of history in the moment. But when we step back and we look at the larger arc of, of God's movement in history, then, then I start to see some hope. Um, not that we don't cycle a lot of that. Not We don't find our, our whole new ways and very old ancient ways of being horrible and cruel to one another again. But... Um, but I think that is one of the places where I, where I find hope is when I realize that it's not about me and my moment, right? It's about stepping outside of the story and trusting that um, that there is a God who is in charge of a redemption movement, right? That is um, that's bigger than me and my moment. And it's actually I love the story of Naaman the Syrian, who. Um, goes and gets healed of his leprosy. And the reason why I love that story is because of the servant girl. You know, she's an Israelite servant girl who's been taken during war. God only knows what type of war things have happened to her and her family. She's watched everything disappear. Her village is gone. All of this stuff. We and don't know her name. she decides to help him by offering the suggestion as to where to go. Not just help him. Not just help the person in charge. She still thinks there's a God in Israel who can heal. That's right. Even though he didn't save her. In that way, right? Like, not maybe the way she wanted. It's one of the most troubling stories in the Bible to me, just because of her. Right. I mean, it's so weird that God's healing power story starts off with the capture of a child. Yeah. And, you know, there's a um, scholar in Berkeley who talks about the major importance of minor characters in the Bible. And that the whole story, her whole story... His whole story, the way that God can be worshipped in Damascus, that whole story hinges upon this one unnamed servant girl who's willing to still believe that there is a God that can heal in Israel, even though her own personal story is not one of redemption. And it's not like we find out that he's going to set her free at the end or, you know, it's, it's not some, we don't know her story. No, we never do. We, and we don't even know her name. But we know that she still has this faith, this belief that there is a single, that there is a God in Israel that can heal. And, and I think so much of even the women in Moses' story, right? Um, from Shifra and Pua, the midwives whose names we know and Pharaoh's, you know, whose name we don't know, to um, his sister, to his mother, to his wife, that all of, we talk so much about Moses and Moses bringing the redemption, but none of that happens without each one of these women along the way, Pharaoh's own daughter, each one of these women along the way, ensuring that the redemption story can get told. But it's not that they are personally necessarily going to experience any of the redemption. Of course, Miriam does, but but we don't know, and and you know, Zipporah. But there's so much of that. It, when we make the story so much about ourselves, um, I think that's a place where we can lose a lot of hope, or so much about one instance or one moment. But when we step back and we can start to look at our larger narrative of our people's story, you know, the redemption of Israel, um, all of the things that are happening even today then I can start to find hope. Like Mr. Rogers used to say, right? When you see something bad happen, start to look for the helpers. Hmm. Look for the people that are helping. And and that's a place of hope. And we can see that through both of our texts and in the world around us. I see that in your life. I see that in yours. 
Amen. Hope you in the Lord and renew your strength.